Hey, you are not tuned in with King Legend Talks. The most influential groundbreaking podcast of the year. Featuring some of the dopest celebrities and influencers in the world. This is, this is Fat Joe. Hey, what's good, everybody? It's your boy, PJ Howard. Yo, what's up, everybody? It's B. Scott with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yo, what's going on, everybody? This is JR from CBS Sports Radio, the JR Sport Brief Show. I'm going to be chatting it up with King Legend. King Legend always asks the questions that inspire and motivate others to follow their dreams. It's helped me grow as a person. By learning from each other, together we can make a difference. It's drastically changed my life. So turn the volume up, turn up and tell a friend to tune in. It's about to go down in the PM. Going down, man. It's your host all the way from VA, the one and only King Legend. The one and only King Legend. On King Legend Talks. This is your boy, King Legend 757, and we're live right here on King Legend Talks with the one and only Michael Blackson. How does it feel, man? Welcome to the show. I appreciate you for being here. Thanks for having me, man. I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm so mad we're not on my other page. We had like at least 1,500 people watching it. But it's okay. I'm going to repost it. You know, when you're done with this, edit it the right way. I'm going to repost it on the page so the fans can see whatever they are missing. Um, I'm good. I'm here, obviously. I'm in a nice place. So I'm in California. You know, it's been it's been cold as hell the last, um, the last few days. It's been very cold. But today, we woke up to like 85-degree weather. Absolutely. I know that feels a little bit better than it being extremely cold like you've been having to go through. Yes. You know, I was raised in Philly and, you know, I left. I mean, I, I don't get it wrong. I go home at least once a month. But I left mm-hmm. about seven years ago. And now I understand why people move to California. We move here for the weather. But the weather been very disappointing the last couple of weeks. But today we got our money's work. When you live Cali's expensive, but you paying... Niggas pay like three thousand for a one bedroom apartment because fifteen hundred of that goes towards the weather. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a convenience fee. God, God, we gotta pay God's fee for giving us this nice sun. It ain't no sun where you at. Y'all niggas still stuck in that snow traffic, and you got a three thousand dollar Uber bill, motherfucker. I heard about you. <laughs> it happens, man. So look, I'm gonna go ahead and address the elephant in the room because you know. Whenever I bring someone on the platform, normally they're typically known for something as a classic. So in your case, you know, I'm quite sure you can't ever avoid the question about next Friday and your role as the customer entering through the store. You know, that was such an iconic role in a classic film. Um, how does it feel to be a part of something that was so um, major like that? You know, it really stood the test of time. You know, when we first did it, when, no, when I was first invited to come audition for this movie, I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember I was, um, it was one of those things at the right place at the right time. So I remember, usually I used to go to LA like every other week because I had the last road job I had, I worked for the airlines. I work, and work for the airline, you get a flop for free. That's the big, and that's the only reason I took the job because I was using them. I use them niggas for their flight benefits, right? <laughs> I would come to LA like every other week and then I'll try to get on stage, hopefully to get seen by the right people. So mm-hmm. this particular night was a Tuesday night. I came to LA. I remember I used to be off from work. I used to be off Tuesday and Wednesday from the airlines. So I remember Monday after work, I worked like 6 a.m. to like 11 a.m. 
mm-hmm. work. So what I usually do, I'll take like a 2 p.m. flight to L.A. every other week. So I took a 2 p.m. flight to L.A. Monday, get to L.A. like 5 p.m. Monday night is like a... Monday night is an urban night at the comedy club called Improv. Improv on Melrose. That was supposed right. to be Ray Davis. He's been doing that shit for like 300 years. Right. Like 1999. D Ray's the host Monday night at the improv. And then Tuesday night was another nigga night at the comedy store. So what it like, these are major white comedy clubs, but they give the black people one night a week. Mm-hmm. So they host their own show. So those nights are the nights where you get like everybody that's popular that's black will come out. Like on Monday, like especially Tuesday night. Tuesday night. You'll get like a nigga like Eddie Murphy come and hang out, Chris Rock, you know, there's right. a all them actors would come out. Yeah. So Tori used to host Tuesday night at the comedy store. So that happened to I happened to be there the same night Ice Cube came to see Mike Epps that night for the first time. So that was the night I happened to be on the show. And I remember after the show, uh, what I heard was like Ice Cube approached the lady that booked the show, like, here, who's the African guy you had on the show? Can he come out and audition for the movie? Wow. So I remember um, she hit me up. She said, hey, um, they're working on this movie called Next Friday. I didn't know what it was. I, didn't, I, had, no, I had no idea it had anything to do with, with the Friday movie. So you were never seen the first Friday? I saw the first Friday, but I didn't know this. This was like five years later almost. Right. Friday came out in 95. This was like 99. So uh-huh. like half years later. You closing? The whole place or just a section? Okay. So it was um it was uh four years later. Is it said the project says next Friday? I didn't know it meant like the sequel to Friday. Yeah. I didn't know it was a whole different project. I didn't know it was a TV show, a movie, a poem, a porn, porn hub. I didn't know what it was. Right. I just said, you know what? Okay, so I didn't realize it was a it was a sequel to Friday till um to Guy Tory later on told me about it because mm-hmm. I knew he said, hey, um, they want to do this for this movie, and then Guy was like, hey, Mike, you know, you know that movie this this thing the script for is for is a sequel to Friday. I'm like, oh shit, dope, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I still had to fly out, so I remember I went back home to Philly. You know, and then um, I had to come back like a week later to audition. And I auditioned for the movie in front of uh, the casting agent who was um, Kim Harden, I think was her name, and the director who was Steve Carr. Steve Carr was like, this is like his first movie because he did mostly um, music videos. Mm-hmm. And that's when they started using music video directors to direct movie. That's how, um, was it Hype? Um, what's the Hype first name? Is it um, Hype Williams or something? And then what's the other guy, the director? I mean, so many of the directors that started doing movies all started out with music videos. Right. You know, and that was, this was, that was Steve Carr's first movie directing. And I remember I went audition for it, man. I just went real ham and went crazy with it. You know, like, give it all I had. Absolutely. So was that your idea? Or like, was the whole thing kind of like improv? Or when you walked in and you started acting crazy was that kind of all you it was all that was all me the only thing that was on the script that i said that was in the movie i heard was the words i can't get jiggy with the shit everything else that came out of my mouth and mike epps mouth we yeah. came up there at that moment i've known mike for about this was like 99 
I've known Mike for at least six years. We're all doing jokes like we started like 93, 94. Yeah. So we knew each other. We already had like a little chemistry. So we could fuck around with each other and we felt comfortable. Yeah, y'all got crazy chemistry, by the way, on screen, like as far as the way you guys go. So in a roast battle, who would win? Huh? In a roast battle, who do you think would win between you and uh, uh I'll beat Mike. Mike gonna have a lot of dog jokes. That's it. Right. So I'm gonna go in on you know everything about him, like him being like 50 years old and still dressing like he's 31. He like a, dress like an old young nigga, you know. That's how I call him. That's my. So I would have a lot more to say, but you know, even on wilding out, man, those guys they be trying to get me. But at the end of the day, I'm the I'm like the underdog, you know. Yeah. So dog always win, man. All I gotta do is come up with a couple of good shit, and that will be enough to knock them both out. I think your stage presence has a lot to do with your delivery too, because you know. When you get up there and you start roasting people, I think it's your personality on top of what you're saying that makes it even more funny. But, but the thing about growing up in the East Coast, especially Philly, you know, even like when we all started, like, with Kevin Hart and all them guys that, you know, with the New York comic. thing about mm-hmm. Philly, Philly was not, we didn't have much places to perform in Philly, so we spent a lot of time in New York. Mm-hmm. New York comedians are the worst. I mean, these guys, as soon as you come around them, we got to start roasting each other. So you got to start getting niggas right away. Because as soon as, if, if you get 10 comedians together outside, they start sizing each other up. So right. I early, you got to just go in quick. Because if not, they're going to go in on you. So you Absolutely. catch them off guard, you know, and that's what I think, that's what made East Coast comics much stronger and tougher because it's tough. You know, niggas start roasting you Back in fucking elementary school. Right. You stay ready so you ain't got to get ready, too. Stay ready. Man. I'm ready right now. Any haters uh, on live, I'll light your bitch ass <laughs> up. Now, I remember um, a couple years ago, you came out to Virginia Beach. You were at the Funny Bone. Right. And um, I, when I, I actually was at that show, and I walked up on the stage, and the first thing you said to me was, Biggie is not dead. That was the first thing you said. I was like, oh, he's ready. I don't remember that shit. I know you don't, but I know I would. I was like, okay, he's ready. The first thing he said was, Biggie is not dead. Okay. I was like, all right, you got me. You got. I didn't want no more smoke after that. I did not want no smoke after that. You got it. 2011-ish, 12-ish? Yeah, it was It was back then. It was It was definitely around, i say, 2012-ish, yeah. somewhere around there. Okay. Um, but it was good vibes, good chemistry, the good performance as usual. I mean, I consider you to be a superstar when it comes to this comedy, you know. Um, so you definitely well experienced and know what you're talking about when you get on stage. Um, so moving forward, thinking about your career, did you ever see yourself being at this place, you know, that you are right now in your life when you first started? Um, you know, when you start comedy, man, you know, I started out. I was different from everybody else. And then, you know, you start to like, you know, okay, you said to yourself, in like five years, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be doing this and that. Mm-hmm. Then, but like, you know, God controls what happens to you, where you go, how big you get, how small you go, when you fall off. I mean, don't get it wrong, you got to put in hard work and dedication. You know, when next, right. Friday, when next Friday came out, I mean, I've been doing comedy six, seven years already. A lot of times when people see you for the first time, they think like you're just coming out. No, that I was 
I was already in six, seven years. Right. I mean, if you go back to Comic View, I mean, my first Comic View was 1994. That's when it was a competition. Mm -hmm. um, I made $150. I had to fly myself to LA. I had to pay for my own hotel. And I have to wait like a whole month for my $150 check. I came to LA for negative $700, pretty much. Wow. You know, but that's, that's all part of the grind. Um, that takes a lot of faith, too, man, because some people are not willing to take that L. You know, they're not, they're not willing to sacrifice um, a lot of financial situations, you know, when they're taking that leap. So for you, what was that confidence like for you that you just knew something was going to come out of it? Well, you got to, you know, you got to invest into yourself. I mean, I invested 100 you know, $700, and of course, look where I'm at today. But, you know, even though I went, it was a competition. I remember D.L. Hughley was a host of that. I took a, I lost the first round. I came back home, but I came home and then like a few months later, I'm on TV and I didn't even have cable. So, you know, people are like, oh, Mike, we saw you on TV. I'm like, okay, nice. You know, you know, okay, maybe I'll get some pussy now, whatever. <laughs> and um, even after that one season, I didn't even do it again for like a while. Like they didn't even invite me back mm -hmm. for like to like 98. So almost. Four years later, I had to, um, before I went back to Comic View, and then from like 98, and then 99, the movie came, I did the movie, 2000, the movie came out, 2001, I was a super ghetto superstar, mm -hmm. right? Ghetto superstar, you know, I go from like not getting no booking to getting booked everywhere. I went from like making $500 a show to like $2,500 a show from the next Friday. So I'm collecting every money, every nightclub that want to book me, every club, everyone. Right. I'm on everybody's show, making my money. Did it for like uh, three straight years. But, you know, I, at that moment, I was never managed. I never had a manager. I never had no agent. I had a beeper and a goddamn house phone. Wow. You know, so if I miss a beep or I don't return a beep in time, I'm screwed. In fact, after I did Next Friday, the guy that directed Next Friday, Steve Carr, Steve Carr was directing, he directed Dr. Doolittle too. This is how much I missed out on. Because I remember being at work and getting a page a few times, but I never, I didn't return this page. Mm -hmm. I like five days later, and I missed out on being a voice on Dr. Doolittle too. Wow. So the mistake I made there was when I first got into the movie. When I first got next Friday and the buzz was out, everybody was loving Michael Blackson, I should have packed my bags and moved to Cali. Because with it, at that moment, back then, the industry took you more serious when you're here. It's not like, right. like we got social media. They could find anybody anytime. You mm -hmm. know? Now, it's not even about... It's, it's changed. It's totally different now. now. We don't even... I don't need to be... I'm just here for the weather. I could live anywhere I want now and still be successful. You know, right. so playing niggas out there like you don't have to be out here. We have we have this social media that you can pretty much that's your own television network. This is your own station. Just give them some good contents and shit will come to you that's meant to come. Yeah, I definitely remember that being a trend. Everyone that wanted to make it big had to move to Hollywood. You know, that, that was the place to be. Yes. So I missed that. I didn't do that I, I, because I was out too busy picking up my little twenty five hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Because I, I had nobody telling me, hey, Mike, this is what you're supposed to do. I was just like, shit, nigga, I'm, I'm getting my money. I'm saving my money. 
and that's what happened. So in 2005, I tried to come out to LA, but then my buzz was done. It yeah. wasn't buzzing no more. So I came out, I could barely, the comedy clubs didn't want to give me love. I was like, but then I mind y'all still popping in the East Coast. I was still making money. I was just out here trying to try it out. And right. I'm, I'm just spending this, at that moment, like a one bedroom, back then was like $1,100 a month. Back in, this is like 2005. Now they're saying one bedroom is like 2500 3000 But then I'm like, I'm just spending $1,100 a month for nothing. You know what I mean? I'm like- what, what was your mindset back then during that time though? Like when you, you had the fame, you had the buzz, but when it was over for that slight moment, what did you think? Like, what was your headspace at? Um, I never gave up. I never thought it was over, over. I just thought, like, you know, I need to... I said to myself, I'm, I came to L.A. I was I tried out for, like, a year and a half, two years. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm just wasting money. I'm going to go back east. I'm going to go back and, and, and figure it out. Mm -hmm. While I'm figuring out, I'm going to save myself $1,100 a month because I had a... I had, a, I had a house and a mortgage already that I was that I had a, I was responsible for, so right. I went home, and then I was like, "Okay, let me figure it out. Let me, you know, work and figure it out." And then, boom, social media came out. 2010, 2009, Twitter came out. That's that was a big deal. That, that was a game changer. That changed everything, you know. And don't matter, don't get it wrong. I was still a little late with Twitter. Cause I remember when it came out. By the time it came out, I had was on Facebook, had my little. Back then, the maximum you could have on Facebook was 5,000 people. It wasn't mm -hmm. a fan page. So I had my little 5,000 Facebook followers. You know, I'm having fun with them. I'm happy with that. And then mm -hmm. my guy's like, this thing called, out is called Twitter. You know, you should get on there. I'm like, man, Mike, fucking no goddamn shit. He said, Mike, you got to get on there. I said, ah, okay, fuck it, I'm getting on. I get on. By the time I got on, I was like probably four months late, four or five months late. Kevin, mm -hmm. D-Ray Davis, Marlon Wayans, fucking... Um, Lil Duval, them niggas already on top of the world on that shit. They all verified with like 50, 100,000 followers. They popping. I'm like, yeah. late. So by the time I got on Twitter, a nigga, some nigga already took my name. I couldn't even, Michael Blackson was gone. Wow. And That's I'm, crazy. This, this, nigga, this nigga is, and he, now that he took my name, he's pretending to be me. And <laughs> he's probably getting all the followers and everything just like that. Nigga repeating, doing all my shit. Just, I'm like, I messaged him one time. I'm like, nigga, I'm Michael Blackson. <laughs> <laughs> you probably made his like, day, too. I can only imagine pretending to be somebody and then that person hits you up. So he had 60,000 followers on Twitter. That was a lot. And back then, you could make money on Twitter. So he was making money. I said, listen, if you're going to use my name, at least promote my shows for me. If I got a show coming, can I get it fly so you can post it? Nigga just ignored me, right? Wow. Ignore me. I'm like, all right. So I had to create a whole new page called um, something. I forgot what it was. I forgot what my new page was. That's crazy. The disrespect. I had to create a page called The Real Michael Blackson. I created this page and, you know, it's doing okay. I'm, you know, cracking jokes here and there. And then um, I was like, I got to get my page back. I got to get my name back. Yeah. So that day, I, I had a contact Twitter, sent him out with a Pitica account. I'm the real Michael Blackson. Did it, did it, and fortunately for me, he took that nigga, took, gave my name, and took it away from him. Oh, okay. Give me the blue check, verified me, and it was a done deal. So now I'm verified. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pop. I'm trying to. Everybody was on there already roasting each other. D-Ray and them going at Cab. They're all on there creating a big buzz on Twitter. 
Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get on them niggas is ignoring me. Nobody trying to show me no love, right? <laughs> None of them niggas trying to show me love. Wow. And then one day I just kept lighting Kevin Hart up, lighting up Kev. I like Kevin. Kev finally responded one night and we went back and forth for like at least 20 jokes each. Right. Shut down the whole end. The whole Twitter was shut down. So after Kev responded, now all of a sudden everybody want to stop. Not everybody want to roast me now. So now, so every day I'm going in with like Terry Crews, Marlon Wayans, D. Ray Davis, load everybody. Now I'm buzzing on on Twitter. Michael Blackson is back. Michael Blackson is back. And then from yeah. there, he came out. I was I wasn't too far with my IG. I got on IG maybe a month late, but then I got on IG and figured out on between Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. But Twitter was what really got me back because from Twitter. Uh, the guy that created um, Kings of Comedy. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, I'm so mad. I can't think of my my guy's name. But he he contacted me about doing a like a YouTube show for him. Mm-hmm. So I did a show. Got my first YouTube paycheck. He he agreed to pay me fifty grand a year to just provide a show, once a week show for him. And I was okay. doing a show, uh, Black Friday. So every Friday I got on my couch and made fun of everything that happened that week. All the celebrities that fucked up, I roasted everybody. So that's right. why I was doing that week. And then that show was on World Star, World Star Hip Hop. Every week they posted my shit. And then I became, a, a, I was on the internet crazy. I became like an internet sensation. You know, on, from YouTube and the World Star was posting me every week. So all the rappers, mm. everybody like trying to do shit. And that's how I kind of like got my, that's how I got my swag back, social media. Gotcha. So how do you deal with fame, man? Being famous and everything like that. Like, I know there's a lot of people, you know, on the outside looking in, a lot of people want to be famous. But with you actually seeing it from a different perspective, is it everything that it's cracked out to be? Uh, nah, man, it's, it's, it ain't easy, you know, because the hardest part about being famous is staying famous. The hardest part of being relevant is staying relevant. That's work by itself. You have to find a way you got to keep relevant. Otherwise, they'll forget about you and then you be nothing. You know, and right. that's what I do. I try to stay relevant. You know, and like I said, social media is like your own TV show. So now you got a chance to like give people contents, keep being funny if that's what you do. If you're a musician, keep giving them the music. You know, and it ain't, it ain't easy. Trust me with, you know, I mean, social media, all that changed my whole life. I went from a thousand years to to, you know, to a whole different level. You know, right. uh, I can de- I can get into detail between Chasco and IRS. I don't want to make guys want more money from me. <laughs> but with money comes problem. You know what I'm saying? Don't get it wrong. With money comes problem. It's not, but I would take money problem over broke problem. So it's not too bad of a problem. But you know what? The thing about it being famous or being a celebrity or entertainer, it's a gift from right. God. It's a gift. You know, certain things, special things are gifts from God. And you got to, um, you have to use it all the right way. You know, some people use fame for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was never, it was not my plan. I came to America to, I would have took a job at McDonald's. As long as I made enough money to send my family back in Africa, $50 a week or a month, whatever, I was happy with that. Right. Comedy was something that, it was the plan that God had for me to get out of the hood or make a difference to my continent, not just my country. I, I represent all of 
it is comedy was something that God decided to give me to make a difference to the world. I mean, right. and I'm, I'm right now I'm on the verge of like trying to make a difference. Like I'm building schools. I'm building my first school in Ghana. I'm not sure. I you saw know. that. Yeah. Um, my plan is to build three schools. I'm gonna do one in Ghana, do one in Liberia, and do one in Nigeria. And the mm. reason why I'm doing this. You know, the, the school thing was um, was something that I felt some personal thing I had to do because when I first went back home after being in America, when I came to America, I was a kid in like mid eighties, eighty seven, whatever it was. Um, I didn't go back to I didn't go back to Africa to like to, to after next Friday that I had some money to go. Can't go right. back home without no money. Yeah, that's that's not a cheap ticket either. It's not a cheap ticket. People ain't just going on to different continents ticket. like that. And if they know that they're coming from America, everybody got their hands out. I can only imagine. So, you know, when I went home, I went to like the little town where I was born. And I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm walking out in the, into the streets during school hours. And I'm seeing like little kids that are supposed to be in school or not in school. They're out in the marketplace selling food with their moms. I'm like, why are these children selling food? They don't have to be in school. Right. So in, in most of Africa, they have like public schools are called government schools. But there's only a few of those, very few. Because mm -hmm. of them, they fills up really fast. And the only schools that are left are private schools. If you can have four private schools or you don't make it in time for a public school, you can't go to school. You're out. Right. So then, this is like in 2002, 2001, whatever. So I had, uh, I went to the local school and tried to get an idea what it cost to go to school. And it was like, it was like an average of like $80 a year. I'm like, nigga, we spend that at the bar. Right. Three drinks. You know, so I remember going to like, back to the marketplace, you know, talking to like a parent of like three kids and like, I said, let me go pay for your kid to go to school for the next couple of years. I'm mm -hmm. like, three of y'all is going to cost like $900, nigga. I got that. Right. I went and did that. And I said to myself, I got to do something about this. You know, I'm like, I could try to like put 100 kids in school. I mean, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to build a school. You know, the average income in at least West Africa, I don't know what happened in like North Africa, like Egypt and Algeria, but I know in West Africa, like we're talking about like Liberia and Ghana and Nigeria. Right. Income is like under $200 a month. Wow. And $200 a month is a good job. $200 is a degree. You have a degree to make $200 a month. Now, can you translate that for me as far as like the, in US dollars? What is that like? Uh, um, well, it's equivalent to about $200. I mean, so that. A, a dollar is um, in Ghana. A Ghana, one dollar is is about six Ghana cities. Okay. Yeah. Making if you're making um if um, if if a good job is about twelve hundred Ghana cities. You know, can you do a lot with it? I don't know, but I know I know for a fact to me three hundred dollars. I mean, I, I make that probably every second on stage. Right. You know what I mean? It's not even a minute. You know. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to build a school, you know, I build a school, my, a decent school. Like I'm, it's, it's, it'll be done in June. It's like halfway mm. right now. 
I'm saying when it's all said and done, I might spend three hundred thousand dollars, and then to run the school because every teacher ain't gonna make every teacher make two hundred dollars a month is a great job. Like they make a hundred dollars, teachers make a hundred dollars, police make a hundred dollars a month. So I'm like, even if I pay these people two, three times the amount, it's not gonna hurt me. Right. You know, so I could pretty much run a school for about seventy-five thousand dollars a year. You know that's I mean? a that's, that's a big deal because you know to do something like that you got to have a big heart, man, and that shows a lot about yourself. You know, you, of course you you crack the jokes, you make people laugh all the time, but you know the side of you I feel like a lot of people need to also see is what you're doing. You know, um, you you do a lot of things like that that you just show that you have a big heart time and time again, and and to see that you didn't let the fame get to you and get you so hooked on it as far as separated from where your roots are you know you're still very much love in your country in our country like it's internationally love for you like all over the place you know and i think that's a wonderful thing definitely and the thing with um you know the thing with like i said when god bless you you gotta return that back otherwise god give it and he take it too right it, it would i mean it i didn't do it because i know god like I, it's just in my heart to give back. I, you know, and me, I'm more of like, I can't do nothing about the adults. I'm more about children. I think everything starts with education. Right. If you want to teach the kids about not catching an STD or not catching COVID, it all starts in school. All is everything's education. If they learn about these things, they could not avoid it. To become a doctor, a lawyer, a president, it all starts with education. So that's why I said to myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not about to go to Ghana and try to create jobs i'm like listen i'm just gonna start off with the little ones the yeah. ones you know what i mean and and start from there you know um not children that, are still the future of tomorrow regardless yeah. of how you look at it i'm like but the, the only thing i'm gonna tell these kids because i'm pretty much they'll all get a scholarship i'm like i'm you guys all gonna get a scholarship to go to school for free but the only thing you gotta promise me is that when you make it in life you're not gonna forget where you came from right but, Smallest thing to a, to a village matters. Absolutely. So, like I, I was about to say, I know you're a busy guy, man. You got a lot going on. I just got to ask you two more questions real quick. Michael Black, so I'm going to let you go. Um, my first question for you is, if you could send a message to the future 4,000 years from now, what message would you send to that person that could change their life? Uh, to just one person, a whole what? Our generation. How about a whole generation of people? Generation. Here's my advice to the new generation. Just, um, I mean, we're in a very crazy world, my God. It's just unbelievable what's going on. Listen, you got to find, I'm a believer in God. I think you put God first. Because, you know, I'm just, you know, a lot of times people don't believe in God. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I believe in him. You know, um, and the thing about it, sometimes, it, it, how can you believe in something you don't know? The thing with God, God will give everybody an opportunity to get to know who he is. It'll be up to you to accept it or not. You know, That's like, I'm God, and I know he's real. So I put him first. And then, with, you know, with whatever you do in life, just be yourself. Don't ever change. You know, you work hard. Work hard, put God first, and whatever is meant for you is going to happen. Don't compromise yourself. Don't be no dick riders, sweating niggas, want to, 
you know, I'm always trying to beg. Yeah. I, I, trust me. One thing I hate is nigga, I never begged for nothing a day in my life. Um, I mean, it was times when I needed it. I would, I would probably steal before I go in bed. You know, like I just know, I know when nobody feel like you know, I, I, like you know, I, I beg you for this. I always feel like if I can, I always found ways of getting it. You know, like uh, who's that? Was that Meat Mill in his rhyme? Somebody something. If I, if I don't got no money, I ain't going. I'm not going to rob nobody, but I'll find a way to steal something. You know, I, mean, I just don't like to beg. Like work hard. Right. God's first, and um. Just do the right thing. We know the right thing to do. You know, mm. if God blessed you, you got to return a favor. If you went outside, you found $100,000 on the floor, nigga, and you got a homeless brother, go get a nigga a couple of dollars. Right. Because God sees all that. You know, and that's my thing. A lot of times we grew up we just selfish at times. You know, um, I mean, I have personal family members that are selfish, and I'm not going to put about it. But I'm like, here's me. I've never starred in a movie. I never had no own movie. I never had no own TV show. You know, I never had nothing that that would bring me a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. God has blessed me with whatever I want. I could get it. That's amazing. Because I know the right thing to do. You know what I mean? I don't forget where I came from and I give back. So, you know, giving back whatever way you give back. You know what I mean? Just find a way to give back. Absolutely. And then as far as legacy go, what do you want to be remembered for? I mean, that's why um, uh, just Mikey, you know, I lost my best friend about a month ago to COVID. I know you'll follow me or not, the Chinese best friend. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I had COVID myself, so I know. For sure. And, um, and what I would, you know, and it's like, we all going to go eventually, somehow, some way, you mm-hmm. know, and and I think that's I'm doing all the things right now to create this legacy, you right. know, the whole schooling thing. Because the, the thing I'm doing with this whole school is like, okay, I came from West Africa, I became successful. On every, on every NFL team, there's at least one or two Nigerian kids on that team. On every NFL team, Nigerians are so athletic, and I never, I haven't heard them any of them going and building a school or doing. I'm not sure what to do in their country. If they mm-hmm. do, or if anybody else from anywhere else that became successful is giving back to where they came from. Right. But one of the main reasons I decided to do this and go, in fact, I want to go to a school in Nigeria because I want guys from other countries that are making millions of dollars to like go and give back. I just want to teach them. You know what I mean? Like the littlest things matters. I mean, I'll go to my village and go get them guys like shoes and t-shirts and they appreciate it. They're small, just don't forget where you came from and like be willing to, even if you came out the hood, if you're from Virginia or you're from Southeast DC, wherever you're from, go do something back, go give back. Absolutely. And that's the thing, I want to remember like, hey, Mike didn't forget where you came from. And he never forgot them kids. Them kids and wherever you came from, those kids look up to you for the rest of their lives, man. Especially when you go back and you didn't forget about them. You know, and you can be successful in anything. Let me tell them that right now. You can be successful in whatever you do in life. You can work at McDonald's and be a millionaire. Just find out how you can end up owning a McDonald's. 90% of the time to own a McDonald's, you have to work there. So you all, you get a job there, you always got two steps in already. Now find out how you can own one. 
if I was in a comedian and the job before the airlines, I worked at uh, Domino's Pizza. Mm -hmm. I started off just instantly phone at 15 years old to working my way and throughout all high school. I was in Philly working at Domino's. I, I started answering phones, taking orders, delivering pieces on a the bike. Then I learned to be assistant manager. And then I became a manager. I was hiring and firing. If I didn't take comedy serious, I would have owned myself like 10 big Domino's by now and still mm -hmm. been successful. So you could be successful as a landscaper. You could find out how you could own your own landscaping company. You could be a successful in anything you do. You don't have to be an entertainer. You don't have to be a rapper. You have to be a comedian. You don't have to be an actor. You know, you could do whatever you want to do and be successful in it. Remember that. That's deep. That's deep right there. You know, I feel like a lot of people needed to hear that because not everyone is going to be a rapper or athlete, you know, and then you have those people that are in those situations and they feeling less than because they feel like I don't have those talents to do all of this, but they need to realize you're still talented and whatever it is you're doing, you just got to figure out how to maximize that reach and that talent and own it, you know. Um, so I really appreciate you for sharing that with us. I know a lot of people needed to hear that. Definitely, man. Hey, I'm, and I'm hoping, like I said, even if God in body parked my car, I'm like, he could learn how to own his own company. You could be good in anything you do, man. So just remember that. But I suck us. All right. Thank you, Michael Blackson. That was Michael Blackson, everyone. Thank y'all for tapping in. Make sure y'all go follow it on iHeartRadio. We're going to have a replay up there for y'all that tapped in a little bit late. I appreciate you again, brother. All right, boy. Thank you so much for making it all the way through another great episode of King Legend Talks. I truly hope you feel motivated to go out and make your dreams come true. If you would like to stay notified on what's happening next and stay connected within the community, please follow the host on social media at KingLegend757 or visit our official website where you will find the video version of this interview at www.KingLegendTalks.com. Thank you so much for your support and may God continue to bless you.